0: your baby boy would one day rule the nation
1: Good, good. Glad to hear it. Thank you, Mrs. New. Most beautiful. Well, I get to hear all of that at home, but it's nice to hear it here. Thank you. I love you. That's a beautiful song. Beautiful song. Um, I have another uh, prayer request before I read from our Voice of the Martyrs uh, prayer guide and pray over these folks and Dan and these other requests that have been given this morning. Um, Our uh, Bernie and I, our our pastor for many years in Kentucky, Pastor Don Staton at uh, Bible Baptist uh, Church in Mount Vernon, Kentucky, he passed away uh, last Sunday, Sunday night. So it's been a hard week for us and for a lot of folks back in Kentucky so and his funeral, I believe, begins in about 10 minutes there. So uh, please pray for his uh, family and for our church family uh, back in Kentucky. He was a wonderful, is a wonderful servant of God. He baptized Bernie many years ago, so he was a very, very special man for us. So please pray for his family this week and in the weeks and months ahead. As to our prayer guide this morning, by way of Voice of the Martyrs, I bring to your attention brothers and sisters in Jesus who are in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is very much a restricted country. The birthplace of Islam's prophet Muhammad is Saudi Arabia. Therefore, Saudi Arabia is home to some of Islam's wealthiest and most devoted followers. However, in the past decade, some of the population has developed a mistrust of Islam and Islam's leaders. Television programs and websites targeting Saudi audiences, as well as social media, travel abroad, and exposure to faithful Christians outside and inside the country have introduced Christ and Christianity to many. Numerous Saudis have taken what they have learned and compared it side-by-side with Islam, resulting in some feeling deceived by and extremely disappointed in Islam. Therefore, Saudis are more open to the gospel of Christ now than ever before. Many are laboring to reach locals, but many more workers are needed. The majority of the population in Saudi Arabia is Sunni Muslim, with a small population of Shiites. Families, the government, and society at large do persecute Christians in Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> Saudi Arabia is one of the world's worst persecutors of Christians. This is why these folks in particular need our, need our prayer. Non-Muslims cannot be granted Saudi citizenship, and non-Islamic places of worship are not permitted. One church in the country is allowed, but it is exclusively for foreigners. Christians are more likely to be killed by a family member there than to be imprisoned. It is illegal to possess a Bible, and the risk of being caught with one deters most believers from trying to obtain a printed copy. However, many Saudis are accessing the scriptures online and through various other forms of technology. Voice of the Martyrs helps seekers through various media and provides aid for some Christian converts from Islam. So please remember these folks in your prayers today and in the following weeks and and always. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, Ruler of Heaven and Earth, one true living God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for this beautiful day and a warm day for this time of year. We thank you for these beautiful days that points to the world to come, the perfect world for which we were made and redeemed. Thank you for making us part of this divine plan to experience you forever in the coming world which knows no end under the reign of Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Saudi Arabia. We pray that you will protect them, keep them safe from persecution and from harm. Reveal yourself to them through your sacred scriptures, through your word, through the teaching of your word and whatever way or means that you see best and fit to draw them to you. Please give them the courage and the bravery that only the Holy Spirit can provide to keep them strong in you and to keep them spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for all of our brothers and sisters the world over in our prayer guide for all of their needs to be met. Help us to be dutiful, to be aware of their needs and to meet their needs with our resources in any way we can as we can. I pray for everyone who is watching today over the six, seven, eight states in our country, folks watching locally, and for those who are listening from India, Philippines, Canada, and other countries. Open the hearts and minds of everyone here and everyone watching to receive the truth of your word from the blessed gospel that Brother Dan teaches and proclaims this morning. We pray for everyone who has been mentioned who needs prayer this morning. Please be with Donna, with Scott and Robin, and with all of our family in Kentucky as we grieve Brother Don being able to go home. The most wonderful day for him, but a rough day for us who will miss him until we can rejoin him. Please place your spirit upon all who grieve for him, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope, as the Apostle Paul would say. And we long for the day when we will be separated no longer, but join together once and for all and for everlasting in your very presence. So please hear my prayer, particularly on behalf of Donna and Scott and Robin. I pray for Warren's dad, Ken, that you will raise him up off of his sick bed for his wife, Nancy. Please heal them, rid them of this illness, help them to return home where they'll be happier, more comfortable, and together. Please help them to be rid of this illness. Reveal yourself to them, of course, in every situation and circumstance. And may they be bright and shining lights, witnesses for Jesus in the hospital where they are. And whatever facility that they're going to be sent to, to heal up, to rest and to recuperate. Help them to be witnesses for the gospel of Christ, wherever they are, wherever they are sent, wherever they go. We pray for Claudia and for the healing of her body. And we're so happy and grateful that you have kept her in good health. We pray for our dear sister Jean, help her temperature to go away, rid her of the fever. We pray that you will protect her from whatever illness she has now. Please heal her, Lord. Jean's dealing with a lot of health issues as it is. Please heal her of this illness, whatever it may be. Heal her. Help her to feel better. Help her heart to feel better. Her legs to feel better. Help her to recover all the way around. We thank you for taking care of Dan and for Kim and for their recovery. I pray for this family who has suffered a loss upon Christmas. Someone in their family dying. I pray for this family. Help them to find you. Even through this difficult situation and circumstance, reveal yourself to them, O sovereign God, and place eternity in their mind and their heart. And I pray for our dear brother Dan, who is willing to preach and teach this morning the gospel of Jesus from the birth narratives of Jesus, from the blessed gospel. May the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of his mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our one and our only rock and redeemer, you who are our only hope, and you who are more than hope enough. Please hear our fumbling prayers in behalf of those for whom we are praying. Forgive us of our sins, clean us up, and put us on our way in the right way in which we should go, in you and for you. In the blessed and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
2: Do the switch here. Thank you. you. Is that positioned about right? Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful one. Those folks that are out there in the internet land, I I pray that you had a wonderful Christmas as well and uh, look forward to sharing uh, God's word with you this morning out of the the Gospel of Luke. Let me uh, let me just open with prayer, dear heavenly Father. We uh, we thank you for this beautiful morning, uh, Father. Our our heart grieves for the uh, for the pain and the suffering and the loss that uh, that we just prayed about, and uh, Father, we just we just pray uh, once again uh, that those people that uh, are grieving would be comforted. Uh, that uh, those people that are suffering would be healed, and uh, and Father, in the midst of it all, we, uh, we, we pray that uh, any who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior would come to know him through, through these trials and these sufferings, and uh, even in the midst of times in the hospital, uh, there, there are opportunities for us to witness to unbelievers, and uh, that's ultimately what we pray for, Father, is that people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through whatever suffering uh, we, we come to uh, have in, in, this, in this life. And we know there is much, Father. And so we just pray, Father, your, your blessing on this time. Uh, I, I pray that, that you would uh, guide my words and that uh, they would be honoring and pleasing to you. Uh, And edifying to anyone who might hear them, and uh, I ask all of these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let me get my spectacles on here. Uh, Bernie, thank you for that for that song. That that was beautiful. Mary, did you know? uh, She and I were texting back and forth uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were deciding what songs uh, would be sung here today, and. I mentioned to her she had never heard that there was some controversy that is surrounding Mary did you know. Uh, People will say the craziest things, but they they think that Mary did you know is uh, just silly in that they're asking questions that are clearly answered in the Bible. Uh, But I see it as more of a reflection on who God is. and. Uh, just his glory and his magnificence, and just thinking about what Mary must have gone through as a young 15 or so year old girl. Uh, And you will see that some of the questions that were asked in that song are actually answered in uh, the chapter that we're going to look at today, the the first chapter of Luke, uh, of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, But not all of them are answered. So that might be a fun study for everybody to go through uh, in the weeks ahead is... uh, Take the the words of that song, and then see which answers Mary did know, uh, and those that she did not know. But uh, even the ones that she did know, we can probably suspect that she didn't fully comprehend uh, the answers to those questions. But thank you. That was a that was a beautiful rendition of that song. Uh, as you probably know, I was scheduled to speak last Sunday, and uh, coronavirus and God cho- chose to change that. And. and I'm actually glad because uh, last Sunday's sermon uh, on the incarnation of Jesus was just tremendous. And if some of you have not heard that, I pray that you will go back. It's it's on Facebook and YouTube and you can look it up and and hear that because uh, that is a a central element of the Christian faith is, is the incarnation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, if, we don't, if we get that wrong, we're going to get a lot else wrong. So I just pray that you would go back and listen to that sermon again, or for the first time if you haven't heard it. So let's uh, please open your Bibles to Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 1. Uh, verses. Uh, actually, uh, Mary's birth announcement is in verses 26 through 38. Uh, But I'm going to take a little bit of a different tact on it uh, today. I'm I'm actually going to compare John the Baptist's birth announcement to Zechariah with Mary's uh, birth announcement of Jesus, uh, Gabriel's birth announcement to those two. You could take either one of these texts and study it in depth and just get tremendous value out of it. Uh, But sometimes comparing two different texts will reveal things to you Uh, that you might otherwise not see. And that's that's what we're going to do today. Uh, And as you can see, uh, maybe out there in the internet land, that there's a little slide here. People in the room have copies of it. That's just designed to help you to uh, follow along at the different narratives. There are tremendous similarities in these two birth announcements. Uh, There's an introduction, Gabriel appears to each. There's a fearful response, and and you can go down through that list there and see. So uh, these are the events that occur, uh, and then these are the verses where Zechariah experiences those things, and these are the verses where Mary experiences those things. So for instance, the introduction of Zechariah and the introduction of Mary uh, will be found in verses 5 through 10 for Zechariah and verses 26 through 27 for Mary. And we're going to work our way all the way through those two introductions or those two announcements and see the similarities and the differences and, and what that might be able to, uh, to tell us. But before I do, I, I, I kind of want to set the stage of where, where this occurs in biblical history. Um, and, and if you will, imagine that this wall behind me is a timeline with history off to the left or off to your left and the future off to your right just like a normal timeline that you would see marked out with years and months and weeks and uh, centuries and uh, so back this way would be creation and at that way would be the new creation uh, and uh, eternity with with God or eternity separated from God so let's start over here in history. Uh, the Bible begins with, with the words, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And um, the thing is that there was a lot before that beginning. Uh, God has existed for all of eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect communion with each other. Um, we've been studying the um, the glory of God for several weeks in our Tuesday night Bible study and uh, I pray that you join us in that if you haven't been. Uh, But one thing I think to know about the glory of God is is that it's consistent. It never changes. He can't be more glorious than he has always been. He can't be less glorious than he has ever been. The glory of God has always been uh, eternal Uh, and It can't be changed. So when you think about creation and going beyond creation with with God uh, in his glory, uh, nothing that happened at creation improved upon God. Nothing changed his glory. He could have continued on for all of eternity and never created any of this that we see around us, never created a single human being, and his glory would not be diminished one bit. Uh, the thing is, is that out of his tremendous goodness and, and uh, desire to, to be good to others, he did make a creation that could reflect his glory and enjoy it. We often re- reference uh, the first uh, question in the, the Westminster Catechism, which is, uh, what is the chief end of man? And as we know, the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's what God did for us in creation, was he, he made it possible that people who did not exist in, in all of eternity past would be able to enjoy his glory and glorify him forever. Uh, so that to me, that kind of helps uh, get that sense that we're not that big of a deal <laughs> uh, when, when we compare ourselves to God and his glory, uh, that he could have just continued on without having created us but out of his his goodness, he chose to do that. So then, somewhere out here, uh, maybe six thousand years, uh, God did decide to uh, to create all that we see around us. The first words in the in the Bible are, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." And we know that six day process that we went through, and and uh, his glory was manifested in each day, and it was good and And then finally on that sixth day is when he created man. He he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed life into him, and he allowed him to name all of the animals. But at the end of that day, he he, he didn't say, it is good. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. And that's when he put the deep sleep over Adam and took his rib out and fashioned the woman so that uh, they could be created in the image of God together. And that's the first, uh, the, the first definition of marriage, the only definition of marriage that that ever existed, uh, that is a, a true definition of marriage, is the man and the woman joined together, one flesh, in, in God. Um, so, uh, man was created, and then uh, unfortunately uh, Satan came into the scene, and uh, Adam and Eve had put into been put into the Garden of Eden, and they were. Uh, living uh, in harmony with God. They could walk with Him in the dew of the morning. They could commune with Him. Nothing was separated between them. It was a perfect uh, relationship between those people and God. But Satan came in and pointed out to Adam and Eve, to Eve specifically, that um, uh, there was one thing that God did not allow them to do. And put the question in their mind, Is that a good God who would not allow you to do something, to eat of the fruit of that one tree in the middle of the garden? Uh, And unfortunately, uh, Eve was tempted and and decided that, yeah, you know, that's not right. Uh, I should be able to choose what I eat. And she took of the apple and ate of it. And Adam, with his proverbial hands in his pockets, was just standing there watching. He was there to guard and protect her, and he didn't do it. And he took of the apple and ate too. And then that, that is the definition of the fall of mankind uh, into sin. And we know that the, the, the wages of sin are death. And death is uh, two things. It's spiritual death and it's physical death. Uh, Adam and Eve spiritually died immediately in that moment. They were separated from God. They could no longer have that personal communion with him. And uh, God took them and and put them out of the Garden of Eden. And and then all of humanity since then uh, has inherited that seed from the first Adam of sinfulness. And we all are born, we're we're knit together in our wombs with a sinful nature. Uh, And there is nothing that we can do as human beings to make up for that sin uh, and be reconciled with God. Um, but God had a plan for, from the very beginning, and, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting it, the way this timeline worked out. For those of you that don't know, we meet at the YMCA in Sydney, Ohio, and there just happens to be right behind me a likeness of the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, what, what better, uh, what better uh, thing to have there when eternity past and eternity future hinges on Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Uh, so as we, as we progress through the sinful rebellion of mankind in all of the Old Testament, we finally get to Jesus, who is that answer that God had planned in centuries past, in ages past, um, to provide, to reconcile us with, uh, with himself. And uh, what we've been celebrating for the last few weeks, uh, Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, uh, is His arrival on, on earth. And, and if, if this edge of the, the uh, picture is uh, His birth, and this e- edge is His ascension, then we know that in between, that He, he grew up as a, as a young man. He never uh, committed any sin. He lived a, a completely righteous life. Uh, he went to the cross, uh, took our sins upon us, Uh, was willingly crushed by God, the wrath of God, so that he could take take the penalty for the sins that were due each and every one of us. He was buried in in a tomb, and on the third day he raised from that tomb, defeating sin and death forever. Uh, He he, uh, spent 40 days on, on the earth preparing his apostles for the development of the church that we enjoy today, the New Covenant Church. Uh, and uh, after 40 days, he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, which is where he is now, physically now, at the right hand of the Father, uh, interceding on our behalf. And then everything beyond that edge, then, is the church age that we currently live in. Uh, we've been in that age for about 2,000 years now, uh, and what 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 Jesus did for us on the cross, uh, living that perfect life, dying that, perfect death, uh, and then being raised from the dead and taking the wrath of God upon himself and paying for our sins, it allows anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross to have eternal life. Uh, And the Bible tells us that eternal life uh, is to know God and to know his son Jesus. And that's a kind of knowing that is not just what you can read in a book, it's a relationship. It's that relationship that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden with God prior to that first sin. That's what we can have now, today, uh, if we accept the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross uh, and and then have it for all of eternity. And then at some point way out there, and it, it might not be all that far out there when you look at the world today, uh, but uh, Jesus is going to return, uh, and he 's going to set all things straight. Uh, there is no evil that 's not going to go unpunished. There is no good that 's not going to go unrewarded. Uh, and that timeline is going to split. and for, for, for those who had put their faith and trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross, they will be with him forever in that, in that relationship like the Adam and Eve first Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the rest will suffer the wrath of God because they did not uh, trust in the man and the God who did suffer that wrath of God in our place. Uh, so that's, that's the grand storyline of the Bible in a nutshell. And today's verse is actually, uh, both all of them are, are talking about uh, announcements of the birth of John the Baptist and anna- the announcement of the birth of Jesus. So where would it be on our timeline? It'd be right off of the edge here just prior to Jesus. Uh, uh, well, actually just prior to Mary becoming pregnant with, with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so this is the area where our verse is going to cover. So let's, uh, if, if you can, please stand and we'll read uh, the verses that we're going to cover. I'm actually going to start in the fifth verse of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And I will read through verse 38. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. You may be seated. All right, we're about to look at at these two birth announcements in parallel, as as I've already described. Um, Each of these people were godly people, and they wanted desperately to glorify God in all that they said and did. And in these announcements, each are going to be given opportunities to do just that. Uh, They weren't prepared for them. There was no sign that this was coming. It just snuck up on them. And uh, the same can happen to us. They had no forewarning that these opportunities were going to come. As we walk through this, try to put yourself in their position uh, and, and just Think of what it might be like to be able to respond appropriately to God when he gives us an opportunity in un- unexpected, totally unexpected circumstances. How would you respond? And, and more importantly, how will you respond in the future as things like this might happen to you? Not like this, but uh, uh, you know, that you will be given opportunities to glorify God in the midst of trials and temptations and, and difficulties. So how will you respond and how will you prepare yourself for that? In, in each of these passages we're going to look at, we're going to see encouragement. We're going to see dire warnings. We're going to see divine judgment and answered prayer. We're going to see God's sovereign hand working throughout the ages to, to put things in place for just the exact time that He wanted them to be there. We're going to see divine humor. We're going to see joy. Uh, but most importantly, we're, we're going to see instruction that can help us to be better prepared to glorify God when we find ourselves in totally unexpected circumstances. As I said before, we could get many, many truths from each one of these, studying them separately, Uh, but studying them in parallel is going to draw out some things that I think we might not otherwise see. And that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture, is we can study it all of our lives, go over the same verses over and over and over again, and God is able to reveal new things to us as we, as we study. Um, there's always more to be learned. Charles Hodge puts it this way. He says, "...the gospel is so simple that small children can understand it, and it is so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches." Uh, And I I pray that you will see something new today in these verses that you've probably seen uh, many times in the past. And that slide uh, is designed to help us uh, to follow along. So so let's just dive right in and let's uh, look at Zechariah's introduction. Uh, I'll I'll work my way through that, point out some things, and then we'll look at Mary's introduction. Uh, Zechariah starts in uh, in verse 5 of the first chapter of Luke. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we see right off that Zechariah is a priest, uh, but we also see that Elizabeth is from the daughters of Aaron, so she comes from a priestly line as well. So she would have grown up in a household that was headed by a priest, Uh, And you can just imagine what kind of an education she got in the scriptures uh, as she was growing up. So right off the bat, we're getting some indication of the importance of God in their lives. Uh, Much more than the average Jewish family, uh, uh, their livelihood was actually centered around service to God. And then in verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Uh, Once again, that's kind of what you would hope for out of a priest and a a wife who come from a priestly line. Uh, But Luke is making sure that we know that they are righteous people before God. According to the sacrificial system of that day, they were doing everything that they needed to do uh, to be in right standing with God. And to drive the point home, Luke goes on to say that they were walking blamelessly in all commandments and statutes of the Lord, Uh, So Luke is painting a pretty rosy picture of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and their relationship with God in this introduction. And then in verse 7 we see, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now verses 5 and 6 painted a really rosy picture, but verse 7 begins with the word, but. Uh, So that kind of separates what came before with what comes after. Um, and uh, we, we can see that there is a point of tension and a point of concern in their lives ever since they got married. They, they couldn't have a child. And that was a big deal uh, in, in, in those, those times to the Jewish people was to be able to procreate and have children. Uh, so you can know that that was a huge point of prayer throughout their lifetime uh, that they wanted to have, uh, have a child. And then in verse 8, Now while he was serving as priest uh, before God when his division was on duty. Okay, remember back in verse 5, we saw that Zechariah was of the division of Abijah. And here we see that his division is on duty in Jerusalem at the temple uh, at this time. Now in that time, priests were, were divided into divisions and they rotated periods of duty at the temple in Jerusalem. And they would do this one week twice a year, uh, so already I think we we can see where God's sovereign hand is working to put jeremiah or uh, uh Zechariah in the right place at the right time. only only once uh, one week two times a year would he have been on duty in the temple in in Jerusalem so according to God's sovereign plan, Zechariah's division is on duty. He traveled from his hometown to uh to be there in Jerusalem to fulfill that responsibility. In verse 9, we continue on, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now it's significant there that he was chosen by lot. Uh, The the, the priests of that day, the Jewish people of that day had uh, 100% trust in God and they knew that he could Help them make decisions by casting, prayerfully casting lots. And that's what they did to decide who was going to be the one who got to go inside the temple and burn those incense on behalf of the nation of Israel. And in this particular instance, that lot fell to uh, Zechariah. And, And when you stop and think about it, He's an old man. He's been a priest since uh, the time he was a young man. Maybe 50 or more years, two times a year he was there, and the lot was cast to determine who would go inside to burn the incense, and that lot never fell to him over those probably 100 or more times uh, that he was considered for that duty. But now, uh, at the right time, in God's sovereign plan, the lot falls to Zechariah to go inside and, and burn those incense. So the, the fact that that lot fell to Zechariah is significant um, because it's, it just shows more and more God's sovereign plan working. Uh, and the burning of the incense is significant as well. That that uh, is incredibly rich in in uh, Jewish history. It, it represents the prayers of the, the the nation Israel being lifted to God, and uh, the fact that He gets to do that. He's he's essentially the center of attention of all of the nation of Israel at this moment in time. Uh, he's the one who's inside during the hour of incense, burning those incense. There are people outside who are praying as he's doing that. And the whole nation of Israel knows that this is going on. So in a sense, all eyes are on Zechariah at this moment as he burns incense and lifts the prayers of the nation Israel to God. It's a really big deal in the life of Zechariah or or any uh, priest uh, in that day. And it's just amazing to see that Uh, God sovereignly put all of the places, all of the things in place to have Zechariah in this place at this time and for this purpose. And then verse 10 continues, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Once again, just signifying the fact that all eyes are on Zechariah right now as he's representing the nation Israel before God, burning incense, and lifting the prayers of the nation to God. So we get a very clear sense that uh, Luke's introduction of Zechariah, that he is a pretty important figure <laughs> in, in the nation of Israel, especially at this moment and in, in this uh, time. So let's now shift over to Mary's introduction in verses 26 and 27 and, and step through that and kind of compare and contrast. Uh, you, first thing you might notice is that Uh, Zechariah, just by sheer volume, gets a lot more than Mary does. There's like six verses for Zechariah and two verses for Mary. Uh, But in verse 26, we see, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, those first words, in the sixth month, is actually referring back to Zechariah's time at the temple. Uh, It's the sixth month. Of Elizabeth's pregnancy that we're talking about here when we say in the sixth month. Uh, the, uh, another way of saying it, you could paraphrase it like this you could say, When Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. And you might also notice uh, where these announcements took place. Uh, Zechariah was in arguably the most holiest, holy place in the, all of the, the nation, in the temple of, uh, in Jerusalem. And where's Mary? She's in this uh, no-name, little, obscure, insignificant village in Galilee. Uh, so there, there again, we're starting to see, uh, just in the introduction, a huge difference in Zechariah's stature among the people, and and Mary's stature among the people. So, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So, not only are these locations uh, significant and just completely opposite ends of the spectrum, Of where these announcements took place for Zechariah and and Mary, but also their stature as human beings in that culture of that day. Uh, Zechariah, well Mary is a young girl, uh, probably 15 years old. Uh, She had no significance and no standing in the culture of that day. Uh, Zechariah, on the other hand, he's an old man. He's a man, uh, which is a huge uh, uh, thing in, in, in uh, Israel in that day. Uh, he's a priest. Uh, he's a high priest serving on duty uh, in, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem. So you can see that uh, there's a huge difference in the stature of these two as, as we just go through the, uh, the introduction. So Luke is making it crystal clear here that the introductions of Zechariah and Mary, that they are polar opposites when it comes to their position in society and the culture of the day. Uh, Zechariah is in a high position and Mary is of low estate. And throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are warnings about that for us. Uh, and when we see that, we, we, you know, by our knowledge of the scriptures, we know that there may be something coming up here uh, with Zechariah and with Mary. Uh, a little bit later in the chapter of Luke, and you can read this later on, but it's in verses 52 and 53. Mary demonstrates her understanding of that that dichotomy between the privileged and the poor, uh, the, the wealthy and, and the poor, the uh, the haves and the have-nots. When when in her song she sings, He has brought down the mighty from the house of thr- from their thrones. And exalted those of a humble estate and he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary was clearly a student of Scripture throughout her short life uh, and she understood uh, things like that as she as she went through this event. Uh, but this warning of the privileged and, uh, and the encouragement for the poor is a theme throughout all of Scripture. Uh, and we can see the contrast in the introductions with Zechariah and Mary. And it might be a warning of things that are to come in how the two get treated uh, by the visit from the angel Gabriel. So let's now take a look at those two accounts. First, when I, when I say these three words, think about what comes to your mind. Our Father, who... I heard an art over here somewhere. Every one of you, I I would guess, immediately started reciting the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And throughout your lives, you've probably gotten a tremendous amount of teaching about the meaning and the context and uh, what what that prayer tells us and how we should behave because of that prayer. That's what we're going to see on display here with both Zechariah and Mary. Uh, just an image or a single word can bring back a flood of memories from studying the Word of God throughout their lives uh, that the words on the paper don't tell us, but that they know just through their life experiences and through their study of Scripture. And that's one of the beautiful things about the study of Scripture is the more you know, the more meaning it has when you read something else. And that's, that's what we're going to see here. Uh, so that, you know, that's, uh, the name of this sermon is uh, The Miraculous Communications with Mary. And that's one of the things that is miraculous about it. But when you stop and think about the training that Mary had gotten in the synagogue, in the temple, uh, all of her life from Scripture, that was actually God communicating with her from ages past as she read his word, his inspired word, or as she heard it, uh, which is the way it was taught then. Uh, so God was communicating with Mary long before the angel Gabriel showed up to speak to her. It's just mind-blowing to think that that's how how important Scripture is and how it works in our lives. So let's look at the two appearances uh, in these passages. Zechariah starts in verse 11 and Mary's will start in verse 28, actually it's those two verses. So verse 11, "...and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense for Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you." So there's some important differences here. They're they're subtle, but they're important. The angel Gabriel immediately speaks words of comfort to Mary. He said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But if you'll notice what happened with Zechariah, Angel Gabriel didn't say a word. It says, uh, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Uh, Looks like he was trying to comfort Mary right away, but maybe he wanted Zechariah to sweat it out a little bit uh, because even the the position of of the angel Gabriel Uh, says a lot to Zechariah, as I just described, through his knowledge of Scripture. Gabriel was silently standing in a position of honor in relation to the altar, the right side of the altar. Psalm 110, verse 1 reads, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The angel was also standing in a position of strength and power, In Exodus 15, 6, he says, Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. So here's Zechariah. He sees the angel Gabriel, a magnificent figure, standing at the position of power on the right side of that altar. Doesn't say a word to him. I would be trembling in my boots. I don't know about you. Uh, But Zechariah would have known the significance of that position, and uh, the silence would have been deafening, I think, for for Zechariah at that moment. So we see in these verses that the angel immediately reassured Mary, but he's kind of letting Zechariah sweat it out a little bit and uh, tremble in fear as he should. Next, we see Zechariah and Mary were both troubled by the angel's appearance. Verses 12 and 29. Verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Verse 29 for Mary, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So both of them are troubled by the angel's appearance. Uh, matter of fact, it says, uh, uh, Luke records that Mary was greatly troubled, but she was troubled at the saying. Uh, Zechariah seemed to be more troubled at the appearance because he hasn't heard of saying yet. <laughs> the, 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 the angel is silent. Angel Gabriel is silent. But we see fear fall upon uh, uh, Zechariah while Mary's response seemed a little bit less traumatic. She was simply trying to discern, trying to figure out what this greeting might mean. Uh, there, there didn't seem to be a sense of dread or fear in Mary's response. She was just curious at what Zechariah was telling her and what what it might mean. And I think that's understandable because of the way Gabriel uh, appeared before them. With Mary, it was with reassurance. And with Zechariah, it was uh, purposely letting him sweat it out a little bit in front of that that altar. Uh, So we'll see similar variations in the responses later. Uh, But in this case, Zechariah is afraid for his life. And Mary is just trying to understand what's going on. And they're, they're both troubled, but in, in different ways. So let's, let's take a few of these together next. We'll look at verse 13 for Zechariah, and we'll look at verses 30 and 31 for uh, Mary. In verse 13, but the angel said to him, Do not fear, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Okay, he's getting a little bit of a <laughs> reprieve from the angel now. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And in verses 30 and 31, the angel said to her, uh, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So uh, both of them are told not to be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Mary. Um, The angel knew that both a natural reaction with both would be fear uh, in his presence, and he reassured them both at that point. Uh, Zechariah was finally getting some reassurance that uh, that he didn't need to fear for his life at this moment. So the angel tells them both that they should not fear. uh, But why? Uh, For Zechariah, it's, for your prayer has been heard, and for Mary, it's for you have found favor with God. Now, Zechariah's life as a priest centered around knowing who, uh, who God was through scripture and prayer. Uh, remember that he and Elizabeth were righteous. They were both walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were people of prayer and the prayer uh, that they had been giving, offering up for years had, had been heard according to uh, the angel Gabriel. And because of who they were, you, you can know that they had been offering prayers uh, for a son for years and years and years because they wanted the son to be able to carry on the priestly line. Uh, and uh, that's just something that you can you can rest assured that they were praying for. And because they were, and because the whole nation of Israel was waiting for the arrival of Messiah, they you can rest assured that they were also, Praying for that to occur too, that the Messiah would come. But little did they know that their prayers for a son was not going to be a priest to carry on the priestly line, but the forerunner of the Messiah to announce his his arrival. Uh, God sure can write a script, can he? Uh, All the uh, uh, twists and turns in the plot are, are just amazing. Now, the reason that Gabriel gave to Mary for not fearing was, you have found favor with God. Now, remember, Gabriel is reiterating for Mary what he told her right there in the introduction. He said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And now he just tells her that you have found favor with God again. Uh, Gabriel seems to be very gentle with Mary and a little bit more stern with, uh, with Zechariah, I, see, I sense. Gabriel next announces the upcoming miraculous births of a boy to each of them. uh, And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son to Zechariah and to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Uh, Zechariah and Mary both knew at that moment that they got that message that this was going to take a miracle. Uh, Mary had never been with a man in a way that would produce a son. So her question is, God, how are you going to make this happen? And Zechariah and Elizabeth were beyond childbearing years, and Elizabeth had been barren since uh, since she became uh, Zechariah's wife. Uh, So both of them knew that, humanly speaking, that this was impossible. And finally, Gabriel gives instructions on the naming of the boys. to, To Zechariah, you shall call his name John. And to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Gabriel gives some insight into what to expect of each of those two sons. And that for Zechariah, it starts in verse 14 and, and Mary in Mary in verse 32. Uh, but one of the things to note about Zechariah's verse, verse 14, and the description of his coming son is how much his son's life points to Jesus, who uh, is then going to be described in, in Mary's birth announcement of, of Jesus. So to Zechariah, starting in verse, verse 14, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then to Mary, he says, uh, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. There's so much in those texts that we could spend uh, a long, long time on those. I'm just going to continue on and leave that for you to, uh, uh, to, to study a little bit in your own time. But at this point in, the, in these parallel birth announcements, isn't the symmetry amazing uh, to see how, how, how it flows in these two announcements? At this point, Gabriel gets asked a question by Zechariah, Zechariah and by Mary in verses 18 and verses 34. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. We're going to see this kind of gets Zechariah in a little bit of trouble here. It may not sound like it is bad, but it is. Uh, in verse 34, Mary asked Gabriel, says, and, and Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Uh, neither of those sound too, terribly bad until you dig a little bit deeper into them, but there is a subtle but very important difference uh, in these two questions. Uh, and they get radically different responses from the angel Gabriel as well. So Zechariah says, how shall I know this? Uh, you could put that another way, and in, in, in Gabriel or Zechariah is asking, how can I know that what you're telling me is true? Uh, or put even another way, he might be saying, I need a sign. I need more proof so that I know that what you're telling me is true because we're way too old to have kids now. <laughs> so he's, ex- he's expressing doubt in his question to Zechariah. He's expressing unbelief uh, that this miracle is just too big for him to wrap his head around that God could possibly do this at this point in his life. Mary, on the other hand, said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary's expressing curiosity about how God's going to make it happen. She's not expressing doubt that it will happen. She's just expressing a desire to understand a little bit more uh, about uh, how it's going to happen. It's not doubt, it's faith. And she's confident that it will happen, uh, just as the, Gabriel angel, the angel Gabriel had said, but uh, she's, she's wanting to know how. So Zechariah responded with unbelief, and Mary responded in faith. Now comes Gabriel's answer to each one of them. In uh, Let's start with uh, Zechariah in verse 19. And the angel answered him, and you can put in a really stern voice here if you'd like, because that's what I envision coming from the angel Gabriel. But the angel Gabriel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah asked for a sign, and he got one, didn't he? He got struck dumb right there on the spot and could not speak. Uh, and uh, that, that, that is an answer that, uh, that the angel Gabriel gave him. On the angel, uh, angel's command, Zechariah couldn't speak. Um, and uh, to go even further, he told him that he was not going to be able to speak until the events that he had just described to him had been fulfilled after the birth of his son and that his son was named. Now Gabriel responds to Mary in verse 35 through 37, uh, and, uh, And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Now remember, she just wanted to know how this is going to happen. How am I going to have a son? I've not been with a man. Uh, and, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and in this sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's given the information that she asked for, she's told how it's going to happen, uh, but, but she's also given more information about her cousin Elizabeth, who she knows has been barren all of her life, uh, is already in her sixth month of her pregnancy and is going to have a son as well. There's a side note here that, that really is worth uh, further study and that's, these passages are critical in helping people to understand the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mary is the biological mother of Jesus, but he has no biological human father. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He's fully God He's fully man in one human being on this earth, the only one who ever has, ever will exist. And he right now is at the right hand of the Father uh, interceding on our behalf and will return in glory uh, at the, at the uh, appointed time. So that is an area that is of just tremendous value. So let's just take a look at these, these two different uh, answers, uh, the responses from Gabriel. Mary's encouraged and informed. Uh, She knows how she will become pregnant uh, and what it means, and she learns that her cousin is also pregnant. Uh, Both miraculous pregnancies. Zechariah, on the other hand, is rebuked for unbelief. Uh, I think it's important to stop for a second and remember who Zechariah is. Uh, He just got introduced as righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all commandments and statutes of the Lord. He was an elderly man. He he was an experienced priest. Uh, He was on duty in the temple when when all of this occurred. His stature amongst his people was beyond uh, beyond par. Um, And he believed, he just experienced a moment of unbelief uh, as, as, as this occurred to him. And you know you might remember the story in Mark nine, the parable where uh, the um, um, unclean spirit gets uh, in the, the the man's child, man's son, and the the apostles couldn't uh, eject it, and Jesus had to do it himself. And the reason was, was they asked him later, said, why could we not eject this unclean spirit from this this person? And Jesus said, "Well, remember, it's only by prayer can this be done." Uh, it, so once again, we see how prayer is intertwined with uh, with what's going on here. Um, as a matter of fact, um, you know, Zechariah, like that father, uh, had just experienced a moment of unbelief. He believed, but he was experienced a moment of unbelief, uh, and and. and as Jesus taught, prayer was essential in getting that um, that clean spirit out of that unclean spirit out of that child. Uh, but let's look at how prayer has inter- been intertwined in Zechariah's life throughout this this uh, uh, this introduction and this this event, this announcement. Zechariah is a priest, so prayer is a huge part of his life and his ministry. Uh, he prayed for many years to have a son. God doesn't answer Zechariah's prayer for many years and for so long that Zechariah begins to believe that it's humanly impossible. uh, And it was too late for that prayer to be answered. Uh, Zechariah is chosen by God to burn incense and symbolically lift the prayers of the nation Israel to God in that moment, in that time. Uh, And so he's the focal point of all the prayers of the nation Israel uh, in, in that instance. And while performing that duty, God sends a messenger to Zechariah to tell him that his prayer has been heard uh, and that it will be answered. And Zechariah doubts that his prayer is really going to be heard. And God rebukes Zechariah for his unbelief. Zechariah asks for a sign. Uh, He's given one, uh, and uh, he's told that nothing is impossible with God. Uh, When Zechariah comes out of the temple, he's supposed to give a ceremonial prayer to close out that hour of incense Uh, And he can't. (laughs) He just got struck dumb. So he can't even pray as he's supposed to pray uh, before the people of the nation of Israel as as he comes out of that temple. God then answers Zechariah's prayer with the son. And uh, at the exact moment that it should, uh, the prophesied uh, change in Zechariah's voice uh, happens and he's able to speak again. What a roundabout way to answer a man's prayer that he'd been praying for years and years and years. But that's God's prerogative, isn't it? Uh, And the same thing may happen to us. We may pray all of our lives for something, uh, but God's got a different plan, and uh, we just have to have faith and, and trust in that. So I'd like to share a couple observations about prayer. First, I think we sometimes try to limit God to yes and no answers in our prayers. That's essentially what Zechariah tried to do here. And the answer was no for so long, Uh, that Zechariah didn't think the answer would ever be able to be yes. But God clearly had a much more complex and interesting plan, uh, and he was going to use Zechariah's prayers in ways that Zechariah could never understand. Uh, He could have given Zechariah a yes answer immediately, uh, but he didn't. He had a a more robust plan than that. And second, uh, this miraculous chain of events captured in this uh, birth announcement started with Zechariah's prayers, but Zechariah was faithful and prayed. Uh, If he hadn't done that, God could not have used his prayers in the way that he did. Uh, Much more far-reaching ways than Zechariah could have ever imagined. So even though Zechariah struggled with unbelief in this text, he was faithful and offered up his prayers to God, and God could use them as he saw fit. And this is the same for, for us. So, while we're finally at that that last row on our chart, Mary uh, reacts beautifully to uh, the Gabriel's response, the angel Gabriel's response. In verse 38, we read, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Mary responds in complete and beautiful submission to the will of God. And and Luke uh, tells us that the angel departs. Now, i got to tell you, this is one of the areas where I got some joy uh, and uh, uh, actually a good belly laugh as I tried to figure out why there was no comparative departure on, on Zechariah's part. Uh, look, at, look at how s- symmetrical they are, and then all of a sudden there's a blank spot for Zechariah there. He doesn't give any eloquent words to the angel Gabriel and then sees him depart. And then it just dawned on me that, he had just been struck dumb and he couldn't talk. <laughs> so that was why. Uh, I, to me, I, got, I really did laugh out loud as I was going through this text the first time in comparison and tried to figure out there's got to be a, a comparative uh, statement there and then realized that no, Zechariah is dumb and he's going to be dumb for about nine months. Uh, so in verse 38, Mary responds in complete submission before Gabriel departs. Uh, and, uh, and Zechariah, obviously, uh, he, he just can't. Matter of fact, the next verse, he's actually outside trying to offer the prayer that he's supposed to offer, and he still can't speak. Um, so, we've seen throughout these verses where God has uh, used his people's faithful study of the scriptures. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, when you think about Mary and her knowledge of the coming Messiah, uh, she certainly had had been taught Genesis three, and Genesis three fifteen, where the fall occurs, and where uh, the, the, uh, there is going to come a, 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 a man who is going to crush the head of the serpent. All of that was already in her being and in her understanding of who God is and who the coming Messiah is going to be. So she was able to understand more fully what these words meant to her when the angel Gabriel spoke them. Uh, And I, I submit to you that God is doing that with each and every one of us. He was speaking to us before He even created the universe. Uh, and, and as he superintended over the creation of uh, the Word of God, uh, he could have us in his mind at how I would respond with a belly laugh when I read that uh, last uh, couple of lines there in these, these accounts and realized that, oh, um, uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't offer a, 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 a great response because he, was, he couldn't speak. Uh, so it's just amazing to me how uh, both prayer and Scripture are interwoven throughout these uh, through these uh, introductions and uh, accounts of uh, these birth announcements. So miraculous communications with Mary started well before uh, the angel showed up. Uh, we've seen how God uses Scripture miraculously to communicate with her. Psalm 119 verse 130 assures us uh, that we don't need to, have a doctorate in theology to understand the Bible it says the unfolding of your words gives light it imparts understanding to the simple yet the depths of the Bible are immeasurable Uh, John Chrysostom was a uh, a theologian important theologian in uh, several hundred years after Christ Uh, and he, he said this he said to get the full flavor of an herb it must be pressed between the fingers so it is the same with the scriptures the more familiar they become, the more they reveal their hidden treasures and yield their indescribable riches. Uh, E.M. Bounds on, the, on the, uh, prayer, the concept of prayer in his book, uh, The Weapon of Prayer, he puts it this way. He says, uh, God has ordained prayer as a means whereby the will of... Let me start that over. God has ordained prayer as a means whereby he will do things through men who pray he has ordained prayer as a means whereby men he will do things through men who pray just like Zechariah we have to pray before God can use our prayers and just like Zechariah uh, God can use our prayers in ways that we cannot comprehend Uh, Martin Luther commented on the importance of prayer in the life of the Christian when he said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we, we thank you for this time that we've had together here today to, uh, to look at these uh, amazing birth announcements of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and the birth announcement of Jesus, and how Zechariah and Mary uh, responded differently, and uh, how... Um, through, through, through the study of the word and prayer, it can inform us uh, in how we should respond when we are, are, uh, find ourselves in unfamiliar territory and circumstances that we just can't fathom. So Father, we thank you for uh, for the time that we've had here today. I just pray that uh, this uh, that your word will uh, have an impact on uh, the spirits of people, and that they will uh, some may come to know Jesus through this, and others will will grow in Christlikeness because of it. Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of reading it. Uh, we thank you for how it can teach us uh, to live our lives in, in ways that are honoring and pleasing to you. We thank you for the gift of prayer where we can tell you what's on our heart and tell you our uh, uh, concerns and our, our doubts. Uh, And that then you can use the word to answer those prayers for us and uh, that in years gone by we can look back and see your movement uh, amongst us just like we're able to do in looking how you were working in Zechariah's life all of those years and working in Mary's life uh, even before the world was created. Uh, and as you superintended over the development of Scripture. So, Father, we thank you for who you are. We just praise you and honor you and give you all of the glory in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, I think we're in store for one more song. And then we will be dismissed. Oh.